2: Yeah, nobody wants a surprise wank. Just like, oh, ah, you gotta do it now. Ah, okay, I'll try. Hello and welcome back to Test You, Baby. Hope you're having a lovely day. I just want to say, right, we're recording this on a Wednesday. We only just released the other episode two days ago. How productive are we being? I mean, I'm going to confess to you now. We usually record them on Sunday nights.
1: Yeah, this is normally like a last minute thing almost, isn't it? It's like,
2: oh shit, we haven't
1: recorded the podcast yet. Who
2: are we? I know. Let's go. Love this new us. All right, if you haven't yet, please do subscribe. It is the best way to support us. And yeah, hopefully you're having a lovely. day Uh, my name is miranda burns and over there my cafe nero decaf hero is tristan hall
1: that's what they call me do you want to tell the people what you did so because we are um for want of a better phrase, cheap, um, we, we are with O2. And those of you who are on O2 will know you get something called Priority. Oh. O2 Priority is a load of really happy... I'm not actually sponsored by them, by the way. I feel like I'm just saying <laughs> Hashtag
0: ad. But they so do gifted. give you
1: rewards. So every week you get different things. Um, and every week on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, um, you can have a free coffee from Cafe Nero.
0: Love that. Which is
1: so worth it.
2: Which we do every single week. Every week. We wander into Winchester City Centre and we go and pick up our Cafe Nero coffee. Yet we we always make a mistake
1: so you will know that during pregnancy you are told to avoid caffeine now we know that some people don't and that's absolutely fine if you want to drink coffee then you do you but you know suggested perhaps to make sure that you're not drinking too much yeah every week we go and in, in the excitement of <laughs> having a free coffee
2: and using the o2 priority and app it's
1: the moment you go, oh, get the
2: app outright scan that yeah and
1: you forget to order decaf
2: we just get caught up in the moment
1: and it's happened like three or four times now Mm -hmm. and today she made the same mistake she said can i have a iced vanilla latte please right and the woman put it through on the till and i suddenly realized i was like oh decaf and there was this moment where we had to like shout through our mask at the woman to say like decaf no i'm pregnant and yeah so you now have a decaf latte you've had it how was it
2: it was fine, although what I will say is that when I do have my accidental caffeinated coffee on a Tuesday or Wednesday, I am buzzing. I am the best version of me, and Tristan gets old Miranda back for a few hours. It's like, it's like
1: having the, the, the old you, isn't it? Yeah, have, yeah, yeah, Having this little bubbly, excitable person who doesn't actually sleep. No. no normally... <laughs> we get back from doing whatever we do on a, on a weekday and just before you work, you have a quick kind of half an hour nap. Mm-hmm. Tuesdays, you're really productive, you do work, whatever, you know, it's great. I'm but, but, living my yeah. best
2: life. But no, unfortunately today, uh, Tristan was the what did I call you? The Decaf Cafe Nero Hero. Oh, I don't feel like you gave me enough credit for how cool that was.
1: The Decaf Cafe Nero Hero.
2: Anyway, wherever you are, we hope you're having the best day. Thank you for listening. If you're new to our podcast family and test your baby, we're chatting through all things IVF and hopefully beyond because there is currently... A fig-sized baby in my belly. A fig. We actually went to Sainsbury today and bought some figs. We did
1: buy some figs. We had no
2: idea how big a fig was. I thought a fig was a similar size to a passion fruit, but it's actually quite a bit smaller.
1: Significantly smaller.
2: But I... but it's not small. What can we compare it to? Because I don't feel like many people are familiar with figs.
1: A conquer.
2: Yes. Just ah oh, this is why I love you. Anyway, in true Tristan and Miranda style, there will be a whole lot of tangents, more than one euphemism, and inevitably we will expose and embarrass ourselves. Today's episode is things we wish we'd known before we started IVF. Most of these we either didn't know or we learned during the process, during that pilgrimage, and we're now imparting that knowledge that we have acquired onto you. Some of them we learned firsthand just through experience. Some of them were pieces of advice very kindly donated to me by fellow IVF warriors on Instagram and and whatnot, and were so invaluable. Some of them we did actually know beforehand, but I just feel like they're good advice, so we want to let you know about those too. Hopefully you find it interesting. Think of it as like a a little handy guidebook.
1: Before we start all that though, last week on the pod, we said something at the beginning that we never actually picked up on.
2: Oh no, I remember this.
1: We said we had two bunnies. And just let you know, we do still have two bunnies, but we want to introduce the second one to you. Because you'll have heard before that we've got Kyush, little Mercutio.
2: Mercutio, named after uh, Romeo and Juliet character. And we just felt like he could do with a little friend, maybe a companion. He gets a lot of love from us, but bunnies, they do like being in pairs. So (laughs) we took the plunge and we got another bunny rabbit. She is currently 10 weeks old. So she's still a little baby and she's so cute. And she is called Bo as in little Bo Peep. Now, If you're familiar with rabbits, you will know that getting them to bond can be quite a long process, indeed half a year's worth of time and dedication. So they aren't yet mingling, but we're slowly introducing them and there haven't been any scraps or fights as of yet, touch so much wood. There we go, there goes our bannister. That didn't sound stable, did it? Um, So yeah, we will keep you updated with how that goes, but they're both absolutely adorable and we love them so much. Fur baby mamas, woo, and papas. (laughs)
1: Back onto IVF because that's why you're here.
2: I think the first thing to start with, um, which I've mentioned on previous episodes, is bloating. IVF bloating is like nothing I have experienced before. I was warned about it prior to starting IVF by a lovely friend of mine who had gone through the process herself. But I just didn't realize how bad it was going to be. I was so round, uncomfortable. My skin was stretched. It's the kind of bloating that gives you indigestion. Like, it's just really unpleasant. And I underestimated it. It's not going to be the same for everyone. Maybe I was just really susceptible to it. But it meant that after egg retrieval, in particular, I felt very fragile, quite sick, and just really, really uncomfortable. So my boss suggested that I take the following week off work. Originally, I wasn't going to do that. I was going to be like, no, I'll keep working. It'll be fine. Take the time off work. If you can, take the time off work.
1: Yeah, really important to stress that one as well, isn't it? That you may think that you are able to go back to work, but I think that the best thing to do regardless of if you're able to or not is to take the time off so that afterwards if things don't work out you can't look back on it and think oh I wish I had done that I wish, I I wish had I'd done rested that. more so, I wish I hadn't got up you early know, you want to give yourself as much rest as possible to make sure that that little embryo can mm. get itself bedded in and end up being a successful pregnancy
2: it was some of the really good advice that one of our nurses at the IVF clinic gave to us which is that if this ends in a less than happy outcome. We don't want you to look back with regrets and think, oh God, why did I do X, Y, Z? So if she used the example of hiking, right? She's like, if an embryo wants to embed and become a baby, you could hike up Everest, right? And it's going to stick there. However, If it doesn't stick, and you did hike up Everest, you're gonna think, "Oh my God, why did I hike up Everest?" It's it's because I did that, and you're gonna blame yourself. So you want to avoid that if possible. So resting, they always use the term wrapping yourself up in cotton wool. I mean, when you get that embryo put, you know, transferred back into you, you feel like it's gonna fall out. I don't know if I ever told you this, Tris, but. I had to really fill my bladder for when they did the embryo transfer. And afterwards, I went for a wee. Um, and I was sat on the loo and I was kind of like squeezing out my wee a little bit because I was like a bit left. Sorry, this is TMI. But I suddenly thought, oh my god, don't squeeze too hard. It's, it's going to fall out. So like, If I tense and I squeeze too hard, I'm going to, uh, the embryo is going to fall into the toilet. And it's that, it's that kind of attitude that you will inevitably have you've just gone through a lot and this thing that you're carrying is so precious to you so if you can avoid doing anything strenuous absolutely do obviously it's not possible for everyone and there are lots of people who continue working and have a successful embryo transfer but for us personally i feel like it was just the best approach and i was so grateful to have that time off also make sure you book off the day after egg retrieval off you will feel swollen and yeah very fragile yet again so you just want to rest as as much as you possibly can
1: so you'll have known going into this ivf pilgrimage of ours um, we mentioned it on previous episodes that we were very pro ivf and less pro ICSI now our hand was forced a little bit with this we ended up doing ICSI Um, and the reason behind our I guess prejudice yeah
2: that (laughs) is kind of fair
1: against ICSI was we'd read some things and been told some things about an increased risk of abnormalities Mm -hmm. or miscarriage and and not a successful pregnancy basically um, because of ICSI now I've also then done my own research into this and looked into the reasons behind it if you're doing ICSI you're already working with lower quality sperm. That's the reason you're doing ICSI in the first place. Yeah,
2: because your sperm's not good enough quality to do IVF.
1: Exactly. So there is a school of thought around whether the reason for those abnormalities is because the sperm isn't good enough quality in the first place.
2: Not because of the process that ICSI uses, i.e. injecting. Yeah, we were really worried, weren't we, that it was the injections that were causing damage to the egg, which then would result in abnormalities. It's frustrating because there's not enough research into it, um, but Tris is brilliant and you have scoured the internet and we've kind of worked it out since that, that that might actually be the case and it's not necessarily that ICSI is bad. It's just, unfortunately, if you're doing ICSI, you're working with lower quality sperm.
1: Embryologist's job in all of this is then to select the best sperm they can find. And with ICSI... Because the tail of the sperm is not needed for swimming towards the egg, it just needs to have a good head. The head is where all of the genetic material sits in the nucleus of the cell, right? That's where that is. You know that from doing GCSE science. (laughs) Because that's all there, as long as you've got a really good quality head, it doesn't matter if you've got a wonky tail or like my were mine mine had this issue that was the issue with mine yeah, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't the the heads of the sperm that was the problem it was the tail that was wonky so yeah. they said that we don't think it'll swim very well they're not swimming in the straight line they're a, you know, a bit all over the place so we need to do ICSI they then selected the best quality head they could find mm-hmm. that sperm they used might have had a wonky tail but they didn't mat- that didn't matter so it's about getting that head shape and everything perfect so that when it fertilizes the egg what you end up with is like the best case scenario embryo Mm
2: -hmm. so i think our piece of advice off the back of this is try if you can not to be prejudiced towards either IVF or ICSI and just follow the advice of your embryologist and your consultant because at the end of the day they want a successful pregnancy too it looks good for them they're scientists they're doctors they're fixers okay you don't go into medicine unless you like to solve these kinds of problems so they're going to choose the best possible situation to provide the best possible outcome Alright, the next tip is one that I love. Menipure. Okay. If you are doing injections of menopure, then you will know that you have to store it in the fridge. You can't store it outside of the fridge until it is mixed, okay? So unlike some of the other injections, Menipure, you have to kind of like mix up that syringe yourself. It was Tristan's job, you have to inject a little bit of the liquid into the powder, withdraw it again. Uh, and I don't really know what the technical terms are, but basically you 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 play the role of a chemist. Once it's mixed, it can be stored outside the fridge. Okay. So there's the context for you. We worked out quite early on that the cold temperature of the Menopure that had been formally stored in the fridge was making it burn so much more when we injected it. I could feel it spreading up my abdomen and it was just so painful. Like the injection itself was fine. It was the burning of the liquid that went in afterwards, which was making me like wince. And we recorded a lot of this. You can see it over on my YouTube channel um, doing the injections and me being like, ow, ow, ow realized it was because it was still cold so came up with a really clever hack
1: this can also be used for your trigger injection it's to get the liquid out of the fridge half an hour before you do the injection so you could get it out and pre-mix it so blokes if you're there if if your other half is doing something else you can get it out of the fridge half an hour before mix it so that when she comes to do her injection half an hour later it's already reached room temperature yes. which reduces the pain a lot more
2: oh my god it's such a it's such a lifesaver obviously please double check with your clinic that they're okay with you doing this but I said that it was absolutely fine so the process would be that at 7 o'clock I was wrapping up my show on Capital um, and Tris would go downstairs uh, get the injection sort of materials out of the fridge mix them up and then leave the syringe on the side and half an hour later I would come and inject myself and it reduced that burning sensation so much so definitely look into that such a good piece of advice
1: the next one is about embryo transfer which is something I wasn't there for but I'm going to ask you anyway Mm. I know going into it you were slightly concerned about pain because you'd had a smear test done before as a woman and that was quite an uncomfortable experience for you, mm-hmm. but you then said the embryo transfer was slightly different.
2: Yeah, it was really weird actually. So I have had many experiences uh, where this kind of thing has happened, where they've had to use a speculum to kind of open things up, uh, whether it be because of endometriosis, whether it be because of like other women's health problems, which I'm just plagued with. Um, but I am used to that sort of stretching pain, which I find uncomfortable. It's fine for some people apparently, but for me personally. I don't really enjoy it and it makes me feel a bit sick actually the embryo transfer was pretty darn painless I don't know whether they use a smaller speculum they might do because of my previous experiences um but yeah I was pleasantly surprised so I think what I want to say is don't go into it with so much trepidation and if you have concerns 100% raise them with the consultant or whoever's doing this transfer um because it, it shouldn't be too painful
1: before it, they kind of introduce it as being, oh, it's just like a smear test. Yeah. Which for some people, You're like, like yourself, it's like, oh, no.
2: Just a smear test?
1: But for you, it was better yeah. than a smear test. I
2: was, yeah. That is the
1: wrong word easier than easier. The test.
2: <laughs> easier yeah i don't know what it was i was yeah pleasantly surprised i don't know whether it was because i was in a happier headspace when mm. you're going for a smear test you're not going to be particularly cheerful but when you're having an embryo transfer like that's an exciting process to be a part of so maybe it was to do with that but either way um i would try not to worry about it too much
1: embryo transfer itself might have been fine I know that afterwards you experienced some pain
2: yeah it was like cramping and we now know that that was implantation cramping so it was my uh body accepting the embryo and it kind of taking place
1: that's not to say that people who have an embryo transfer who don't experience pain have had an unsuccessful oh yeah transfer. please
2: don't worry about that um and I, I guess as well we're, we're not doctors but if it's really severe, then you probably need to call your doctor. <laughs> yeah,
1: don't you say it. Miranda said it was fine. <laughs>
2: <Yes>. <laughs> Let's live with it. It's okay. I don't need to go to E. Yeah, if, if you're in a lot of pain, please call the doctor. Um, no, no, no. As in, I had like mildly uncomfortable, kind of felt like my period was due to start cramping pain. Um and it's just something, just something to be aware of. It can happen. And it wasn't it wasn't too terrible, but in the end I actually sort of started embracing it because I was like, maybe this is a good sign and I was kind of enjoying it. I was like, this is my body. I can feel it doing things.
1: Another reason to make sure you take that week off.
2: Oh, just please. Oh my gosh. I think the menopure out of the fridge and time off are the, the two main pieces of advice I can give to you. Because, yeah, afterwards, I was tired. Like, IVF takes a physical toll on your body. You might be super healthy and super strong and manage far better than I did. Uh, but for me personally, I needed rest enough about me though we should talk about you and your sperm because you have a little bit of advice to give on that front
1: now going into it, i was prepared to do my sperm sample obviously that's my part of the job i was not prepared nor told that i might have to do a second (sighs)
0: so
1: i did my first and the embryologist who handed me the pot was like yes we'll do this and we'll look at it under the microscope and if it's not good enough for ivf we'll try again for a second one to Mm -hmm. see if it improves after a while this was something that I was told for the first time at that moment. And I was like, sweet, don't worry about it. I'll just get this one out of the way. It'll be fine. Lo and behold, after I'd done my sample, <laughs> as you'd have heard already on one of the episodes in the past, I then had to do a second one. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, blokes, some of you might be able to do that very easily. I wasn't too bad myself. You know, did the job. But for some people, that's difficult. Yeah. And not something they can do. So it's definitely worth raising that with your consultant before mm-hmm. if it's something you might struggle with um and just knowing because knowing and being able to mentally prepare might make that a little bit easier
2: yeah nobody wants a surprise wank just like go oh, ha you got to do it now okay i'll try
1: yeah with no warning either no and it's not like they can say you know take take an hour just chill out a bit they were like yeah you need to do it now
2: 5 <laughs> minutes okay, go, go go <laughs> so funny I, I still like laugh at the fact that you were in the bathroom in our room that we were staying in post egg retrieval and I was just on the bed and I fell asleep because I was still so conked out and you this is like this one little wall separating us and you were just in there having a happy handshake <laughs> it just tickles me oh okay the next one uh <laughs> is that when it comes to IVF you really are left with a lot of responsibility. I don't know why I thought this, but I kind of believed that the first injection that I was going to do was going to be chaperoned by some kind of nurse or clinician person but it wasn't. Uh, Different clinics might do it a different way, but ours, we got shown via the medium of mime (laughs) how to inject. And then we're just sent home with a bootload, like a boot's worth full of medication. I've never seen so many needles in my life. And that is big. It is all on you.
1: If you've had medical things done in the past, you have a bit more care from medical professionals than you were before, in that you're seeing them a few times a week. Mm. But in terms of the actual process and the things that you have to do in order to get the eggs prepared for retrieval, you are on your own. Yeah, It's important to mention that the reason that our clinic didn't do it with you in hospital is because you have to do your injections at the same time every day. They suggest the evening because, you know, you're home from work or Mm. whatever you're doing. For us, that meant after your show, so it was 730 30. We were in the hospital at like nine a.m., so they couldn't have done it then. So it was very much a right. This is what you do, and then tomorrow you start actually doing it. Yeah. So that was that was why they wanted to do that for us. But after you've had that appointment, the only reason you go back into hospital is for the scans to check up on how you're doing. The rest of it is just on you go. They do say you can call us with any concerns you may have yeah. or anything like that. We'll you know, we'll answer straight away. But for the process itself, you are very much on your own. Mm. I don't know, yeah, like what did I expect from it? but at the same time I feel feel like they would have had more involvement
2: yeah I mean off the back of that I would 100% say when you're in that little demonstration and they're showing you how to inject ask all the questions that you need to ask bring a notepad uh, record it yeah you you could uh, could be like please can I record this just so I can see and I can check it for reference in the future
1: bring a friend or family member
2: yeah oh my gosh if COVID permits it because Tristan um, came with me and I'm so glad that he did he wasn't going to be allowed to originally um, but I I said that i needed him there because he was going to be part of the injection process he was going to be mixing it like i was like i have to have this extra set of eyes watching this happen and they completely understood and they they then let him come um so yeah just in in if you're a little bit concerned no question is a silly question this is such an important thing that you're doing don't be afraid just yeah make notes bring people if they don't want you to have someone in the room ask to have someone on the phone or on facetime um just make sure you get it right And then also finally on that point, if you can have someone else do your injections... I would recommend that. I would say that about 80% of my injections I did myself. However, the more that I did them, the more that I began to dread them. And my mum is a dentist and she specializes in nervous patients. And she says that needle phobias are unlike other phobias. Say you're scared of spiders. If you're just left in a room with spiders for seven days, eventually you're going to get over your phobia. She said with needles, it's different. The more that you have those injections and the more that you're around needles, the more like hypersensitive you become to them. Great. whoop de doo Didn't have a needle phobia at the start of IVF. Halfway through, I was getting like like hot flushes and sweaty hands. I was like, I don't want to do it. I want to do it. So my mum really kindly volunteered to do the last like two days worth of injections. Oh my god, did it make a difference? It's so much less painful when someone else does it for you. I think for two reasons. Firstly, you don't know when it's coming. Like you just look away, you carry on a conversation, you look into the distance, and then the puncture happens and it's done and it's over. So that's easier to deal with. And then secondly, when you're doing it to yourself, you hesitate. And I often found I would jab myself a little bit too lightly and then there was this awful moment where I have to push the needle through the kind of layers of skin. And when you're doing that to yourself, like unless you're an expert in it, it's just going to be a little bit more unpleasant. So if you can have someone else do the injections for you, I personally think that uh, that helped me quite a lot. You may be a super-duper warrior, and if you are and you can do it to yourself, I take my hat off to you.
1: Let's talk about your ovaries.
2: Oh, gosh. Uh, okay, before we go any further, I just want to say my ovaries are still kind of swollen and still sensitive and hurt all right and there are certain things that I cannot do I cannot lift things I can't like twist out of the car um occasionally I I was lying down in bed the other day and I sneezed didn't I and like oh my right ovary went like it it really hurt um so we are now how many weeks post IVF we're like we we started IVF like two months ago is that right
1: well if we're 10 weeks pregnant yeah. We're 10 weeks post egg retrieval.
2: Bloody hell, that went fast. Well, there you go, all right? That's how long you could potentially be feeling tender for. Your ovaries get huge, okay? They also dehydrate you, apparently. Uh, so you need to drink so much water when you're doing IVF. Stay hydrated because your ovaries are just they're just sucking it all out of you. So it's very easy to get dehydrated. Um, but when they grow and they get bigger, there's this increased risk of something called ovarian torsion, uh, which sounds good kind of terrifying and it is something to be really aware of this is when your ovary is sort of so big that it twists round on itself um there's actually a girl i know who this happened to she had an undiagnosed i think it was a 12 centimeter cyst on one of her ovaries and the ovary got so big it just like flopped and oh you don't want to think about it um But this can be aggravated by like heavy lifting, exercise, picking stuff up. And you don't want to do it because if you have an ovarian torsion, it's classed as a medical emergency. You have to go in and I think just have surgery to untwist it. And some people lose ovaries. So please look after yourself.
1: That's not just post embryo transfer or anything. That is Mm. the entire process. Yes, you are able to go to work and live a relatively normal life during IVF, but it's worth saying that be extra careful when it comes to lifting things and twisting. For example,
2: <laughs> You say Miranda. You were part of this as well. I
1: was the one who stopped it.
2: Yeah, true.
1: So during IVF, we were at Miranda's parents and yep. Miranda's parents had recently installed a wood-burning fire um, in their house, which was very exciting. During this process, they got a log delivery and the log delivery was delivered to probably 20, 30 metres from the house. Yeah, So... The, the children, the the, yeah. the siblings, and myself were all, and Celia as well, yeah. were part of moving the logs from where they were delivered to the house. Miranda was yeah. also part of this. Yeah. And you carried some logs and you were you were fine. There was no pain. I
2: carried logs for a while. I was doing it for about 25 minutes because yeah. you guys were out there for about an hour.
1: Yeah. Until I kind of stepped in and was like, maybe maybe you shouldn't do that. Like, yeah. look after yourself. After which we then learned that you should not be doing anything like that at all. <laughs> our clinic were like what on earth were you doing me just
2: being like a lumberjack in my spare time whilst doing ivf yeah that was so stupid of us but we we didn't realize how uh serious ovarian torsion was thankfully thank god it didn't result in any injury but don't do a miranda and a tristan and be stupid like that
1: because we went to the scan the next day and she was like god your ovaries got big she was like yeah be really careful of that no heavy lifting we We were just there like oh dear (laughs) (laughs) we fucked up whoops
2: it's easy yeah that was terrible i think as a person um i have been raised and i'm very proud of it to just be like a keep calm carry on kind of individual uh, and i will power through most things and i often feel ill and you wouldn't know it from looking at me <laughs> i think sometimes you just have to succumb to uh, being a little bit more fragile and the ivf is a hundred percent one of those times like just embrace it let people spoil you and and have some time to look after yourself <laughs>
1: And now I want to talk about drugs.
2: Drugs.
1: Drugs. Uh, don't do
2: drugs, kids. Don't
1: do it. No, it's not a good idea. Unless it's menopure, in which or, case... Or prescribed, yeah. like that into your eyeball, whatever.
2: No, don't do that. Don't listen to him. I know he likes to come across all scientific, but he doesn't know what he's talking about.
1: Becerulin. <laughs> so I've had chats with a lot of people who've done IVF. I'm chatting to a guy this week about his clinic, and they do packages so you can pay for like two cycles of IVF mm-hmm. and unlimited embryo transfers. Love that. Which sounds like a phone contract. Right? <laughs> makes me laugh. Um, but you will know if you've done IVF that you have to use a drug for embryo transfer yes. called buserelin. Now we were given all of our drugs for our IVF cycle on day one yep. of starting things, right? So you go to the pharmacy and they come out with like a shopping trip's worth of plastic bags saying, here yeah. you go. Hence the full boot. And yeah, exactly. So at this point you understand... Menopur and Firmidil, mm-hmm. right? That's your two things. But in your box, you have a trigger injection. You have pessaries, which are supposed to start after embryo transfer. You have bucerulin. Hey. So I was looking through the bags, as I do because I'm nosy, and found these bottles of bucerolin and I was looking through our short protocol you're like, sheet. You was like, like, what the hell are these what's, for? What's this for? I had no idea. I called up the IVF clinic and they said, oh, they are for frozen mm-hmm. embryo transfer. So mm-hmm. that that is what you use to prepare your body to accept it. A point on buserelin though, if you are doing a frozen embryo transfer post a successful round of IVF, you're going to have to wait a while between IVF, pregnancy, having a baby, and then doing a frozen embryo transfer. Mm-hmm. We did IVF in March 2020. Our buserelin had an expiry date of June 2020. <laughs> Now, I don't know if that was the pharmacist being pessimistic. <laughs> but but it doesn't take a genius to work out that that doesn't work if you have a successful pregnancy. And you're also
2: incredibly unlikely to use all three of them anyway before then.
1: There's but not enough time to No, use three there
2: isn't of them. enough months.
1: So, make sure that any drugs you are given, obviously, the menopure, the fermadil, the trigger injection, will all be used within 2 weeks of starting your mm-hmm. short protocol. But if you've got Bacerolin in there.
2: Or an equivalent, something yeah. like, like that.
1: Make sure that it will remain in date for a long time. I went back to our pharmacy and she was very apologetic and said, Oh, don't worry, fine, I'll give you I'll give you some new ones. So she gave me a box that had three in it that were out of date, I think, in twenty twenty two. So it's next year. It's still not great.
2: But it's better than flipping June.
1: So that was that was the big thing for us.
2: Because you're paying for these things, okay? You're not getting them for free. So if you come back in the future and want to do an embryo transfer, you don't want to be out of pocket, okay? You're paying so much money to this clinic. Make sure your stuff is in date.
1: In terms of price, they are like 30 pounds or something. It's
2: not gonna break the bank,
1: but But it's still something you have to pay for on top of it that you yeah. already get in your package. So
2: Exactly, which you shouldn't have had to pay for, because you've already paid for
1: it. So frozen embryo transfer drugs, make sure they're in date for a long time
2: so staying with drugs uh we've just got to let you know about some developments with the progesterone pessaries indeed if you listen to the last podcast i think i talked to you a little bit about those actually do you know what? i think i've brought them up quite a lot because they are a massive part of my life and how they just get in my knickers and it's just really annoying um well i'm still taking them currently once in the morning and once in the evening before i go to bed At 11 weeks pregnant, I do go down to once a day. And at 12 weeks, I stop, which I cannot wait for. Um, But they have been little angels. And obviously, they help immensely when it comes to, you know, having a successful pregnancy. So I'm very grateful for them. Some places don't do as stronger doses. Now, I don't know the ins and outs of it. All I know is that a lovely lady messaged me uh, because I made a post about progesterone pessaries on my Instagram.
1: As you do. As
2: you do. Uh, and she said, Oh, I think this is why my embryo transfer this time failed. I wasn't put on a high enough dose. They said it's really expensive and they didn't want to give me uh, the highest amount. So all I have to go off is what she said to me. But if I tell you that I am on, uh, is it 400? What is it? 400?
1: 400 milligrams twice a day.
2: There you go. So that's what I am on. If you're on less than that, um, say for example, maybe like 200 once a day. Maybe just raise it with your clinic
1: because cyclogest, which are the ones that you're on at the moment, come in two different forms. Mm. So you could have the 400 milligram ones or you have the 200 milligram ones. Yeah, so before in our previous pregnancy last year, we were given 200 milligram progesterone pessaries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if we'd had those this pregnancy, it would have been two of those twice a day to make up that 400. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. some clinics might say to you, you only need the 200 once a day, which is not. Yeah, like, well, not we, what we were doing
2: no. Now, I'm not saying that one is better or worse, I'm just saying do your research and know that I am on 800 milligrams a day. Okay, so if your clinic is saying now nah, you're going to be on 200 i just ask the question because you really want to do everything that you possibly can. And it's been, I'm pretty sure it's still quite new, but they're doing um, trials and stuff on progesterone and how it can really help with miscarriage in natural pregnancies as well uh, with preventing things. So, yeah, I, I would look into that. I felt awful for that woman when she messaged mm-hmm. me. I was like, that. imagine if that is the reason.
1: Our IVF consultant is so pro-pro. <sighs> progesterone yeah, yeah. he was the one who during our last pregnancy obviously ended in miscarriage but he said to us when we started bleeding yeah let me give you a prescription for these mm-hmm. so we had a private prescription of cyclogest progesterone pessaries that we were doing once a day just to see if that would help the situation because he said you know i don't understand why they don't do it for all pregnancies
2: yeah i i, I can only go off of my own experience and i do not in any capacity want to be criticising the NHS. Um, but yeah, our last pregnancy, I had an, I was an NHS doctor or midwife or someone be really confused that I was on progesterone. And I think they actually asked me, they said, where did you get that from? How, how are you on that? Sort of saying, we don't do that on the NHS. Um, and I mentioned, oh, I have a private consultant for endo and he sent me the prescription. So uh, I can only go off what I've experienced. I don't think they're as popular yet on the nhs so look knowledge is power do with it what you will we're not saying one is right or one is wrong we only have our own experience to offer advice from we personally would want the highest dose of progesterone pessaries
1: on a personal note miranda <laughs> um i know yourself and progesterone pessaries have had a very intimate relationship over the last 10 weeks say that again You've changed your technique a little bit after some advice from a lovely lady uh, On Instagram. On Instagram. <laughs> I
2: take all my advice from lovely ladies on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, you
1: do, you do. And this one's a little bit odd. But yeah. It's something we spoke about before, isn't it, Miranda?
2: Yeah, we've mentioned it on the podcast that I was doing the pessaries in my vagina. And somebody who listens to the podcast messaged me. Now, I can't, I, I can't remember if I've replied to you yet. I'm so sorry. I get I get so lost in my messages on Instagram. So I'm going to try and find you. And if you are listening, thank you so much. I did see it. I'm going to respond. But she said to me, put it in your bum instead, because I, th- I think it's like the suction that your buttocks have. It kind of just absorbs it and it doesn't trickle out so much. And I was finding that it was really irritating my vagina because my vagina is sensitive at the best of times. Whack progesterone in it twice a day. It was just getting so irritated and sore. So, ladies and gentlemen, I have started putting my pessaries in my bottom, and I'm not looking back. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pro this now. Change your life. It has. It's not going anywhere. Like, I, I don't want to say too much because this is kind of getting a little bit gross. So don't worry, I won't overshare that much. But there isn't as much leakage. Let's put it that way.
1: Because it's twice a day, once in the morning, once in the evening. Where are you in the morning and the evening? In bed. You're in bed. So next to me, Miranda will kind of pop her legs up and go quiet for like 10 seconds.
2: As I concentrate.
1: And then hold her breath. And then at one point she goes...
2: No, I don't do that.
1: At which point I know it's in.
2: I don't. I go like... Because <laughs> it is a funny sensation. I'm not going to lie to you. It doesn't feel natural. But I thought I would, I, it was, was going to feel like there was a cork always in my bottom. But actually... Just kind of dissolves quite quickly. And you don't notice it after a couple of seconds. So try it. You don't know unless you try it. Pesser is in your bum. There you go. It's the way forward. I'm not going back.
1: Let's round off with something a little bit less scientific. Um, and this is the old wives tales that IVF has to offer. All of which we did. And we have had a successful embryo transfer.
2: Take from that what you will. I
1: mean, we're mm. a case study. For these things being re- it might be that we had a very good embryologist and a very good fertility doctor yeah who managed to get us pregnant <laughs> let's
2: not take away from them <laughs> and our youth
1: improving the quality of our eggs and sperm but that's that's irrelevant yeah
2: by the by i'm pretty
1: sure it's these things playing a part in it too so miranda
2: okay The first one, which we've touched upon before, is McDonald's chips. It is a thing within the IVF community that after you have your embryo transfer, you should have some McDonald's fries. So we did it, okay? We had McDonald's after my embryo transfer, um, and it was great. I mean, any excuse, right?
1: And that goes for blokes as well. Um, it's very important in the process that blokes you make sure that you are looked after too right in fact
2: Toby your brother-in-law also took one for the tea and had a McDonald's as well on the same day even though he lives in a different city he just was like do you know what let's not leave any tea uncrossed or any iron dotted
1: I think the entire Brian family had mcdonald's that day including my three nieces and nephews and my sister so really tick all the boxes you know make sure everyone's covering all bases yeah and not just chips blokes okay i'm talking have yourself a big mac have yourself some nuggets can you
2: hear me rolling my eyes right now um, the other thing is pineapple. Again, uh, another big one in the IVF community. You'll probably, if you're following the hashtags on Instagram, see a lot of women indeed posing with pineapples. I'm yet to do that. I haven't done it. We need to take it off uh, the list. Um, but yeah, I ate pineapple before and after my embryo transfer. I didn't have fresh pineapple actually. I had tinned pineapple. I don't know if that makes a difference. Um, but yeah, the people swear by it.
1: Was it in syrup?
2: No, I think it was in a juice. Oh. I know I prefer it in a juice. I don't like really? the syrup. Yeah, why fix what isn't broken? Like, fruit is so lovely. Why are you adding syrup to it?
1: Are you putting peaches in syrup or peaches in juice?
2: I would always I would always prefer juice, although it's very hard to find a peach that is not in syrup.
1: Peaches in syrup are spectacular. I was so
2: disappointed. I had my mandarin segments the other day. I'd accidentally bought the ones in syrup. I was like, Not to swear then. Sorry, you don't swear over oranges. I just got very passionate for a moment.
1: They're mandarins, not oranges.
2: It's the same same thing. thing. It's a type of orange. I'm not
1: well-versed in the orange world. Community.
2: We are inevitably (laughs) going to get people messages now being like, They're not the same thing. They're not the same thing, Miranda. Mandarins are not oranges. I'm sorry, okay? I'm not an expert in anything. I'm just trying my best. (laughs) And then the final one, which I did religiously, is keep your feet warm don't know the science behind it um but i got told by quite a few people and i saw it on different ivf uh, vlogs and blogs indeed that you should keep your feet warm so i wore slippers the whole time throughout all of it bed socks just kept toasty don't know what it's got to do with anything circulation i'm not sure but i did it it was quite quite nice actually yeah. never had cold feet for like two months I didn't have cold feet <laughs>
1: I think that's a good place to end, don't you? Yeah. So that is it for today. If you like what you heard, the best way to support us is is to leave leave a a review. (laughs) Share with your friends, family, orange segments, mandarin segments, (laughs) syrup, juice, whoever it may be. Share it also on your social media because we want people to come on this journey with us and the best place to see our faces is on Instagram, so do that. And don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Next episode, uh, we will be in our 12th week of pregnancy, which is nuts. It's a point at which most people feel happy enough to announce it. Um, I still have quite a lot of fear. So I think I'm going to talk about that because pregnancy after loss is not a normal pregnancy experience, which I am learning. Um, so, yeah, we're just going to have a little conversation about that and how we're coping and things that we find a little bit difficult and things that we are enjoying. And don't forget, you can see our faces over on Instagram, dot. Burns.
1: Tristan.hall and test true baby pod.
2: Pod for podcast.
0: Love you. Bye. Selling a little or a lot?